All right, you got to be honest with me. How many of you read the fine print? We don't, do we? That's just not part of our nature. I, I remember buying a vacuum once, and uh, I signed one of those things where you take out the insurance on it when you buy it. It broke. And uh, when I called in to see about getting the part that was needed for it, the guy said, so you didn't read the fine print, huh? It's amazing how they sneak so many things in. Well, let me apply that principle to the church with a capital C. I really think that the church over the last few decades has done a disservice to the kingdom of God because they've not brought to the surface the fine print of Scripture. Now, I don't mean by that the tiny print. I mean by that the wonderful, awesome, amazing, glorious print, the words that have been spoken. And I think that's created a couple of problems. Uh, One of those, I believe, is that we have made some drastic mistakes and we have drawn some amazing conclusions and assumptions from those mistakes. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The top two on my assessment are this, that once you're saved, that's it. That's all you need. You just need to be saved. You need a guaranteed way into heaven. When you accept Christ, don't worry about anything else. Go ahead, continue to live your life however you want to live it because you're saved. That's a mistake. And then the second one is, That as long as you know the Ten Commandments and the red letters that Jesus spoke, you'll be fine. You don't need to know anything else. Well, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There's no doubt about that. That was his purpose. He accomplished that purpose. But to think that as a result of that, you and I are set free, that everything is, is accomplished now. We don't have to do anything else. Well, we don't for our salvation. But we do because of the fine print. God's intent is to transform us into the image of his son. And that begins at salvation. When that finished work of Christ is applied to your life. But it is simply a beginning point. His transformation process takes place in us through the work of his Holy Spirit. And all of that information is found in the fine, wonderful print of Scripture. You must be a student of Scripture and open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in order to be transformed. Last week, we learned one lesson from our understanding of chapter 8, and that is that because of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and soon return of Christ, you and I are no longer under condemnation. Remember that from last week, that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's step one. But step two takes us a little bit further. Romans 8, 12 says this. Another therefore. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. You have an obligation. You and I both have an obligation. Not an obligation to try to hold on to that which Christ accomplished for us. He's already done that because of what we said last week, that there's no condemnation for us. We're in Christ. But an obligation to be transformed to the image of Christ. And that obligation means that we need to learn to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now, many of you know parts of my story, my spiritual journey, that at age 27 by then I had wandered. I had done everything you could possibly do that was against the principles of Scripture. I was not a follower of Christ. And I knew I was headed in a wrong direction. And then a pastor started loving on me, accepting me right where I was. And he began to introduce me to who Jesus was. And then one day through the preaching of his message, I went home and I recognized my need for Christ. And so I accepted Christ. And I began this journey thinking, that's it. This is great. I feel so much better. I know now I'm going to heaven, and I'll be able to see some of my family who I guess already have gone to heaven. I don't know enough about it to understand that yet, but at least I'm on the right track. Until the pastor came to me, and he said, now, there's some more things you need to do. So wait a minute, that's not what I signed up for. You know, I signed up for salvation. That's all I wanted. He said, well, you need to read the Bible on a regular basis. Oh, okay. And he said, you need to stop some of the things you're doing and change your habits. Yeah, but I like those habits. You know, but you need to change those habits. Oh, okay. He said, and you need to go with me on some home visits and, and tell these teenagers about Jesus. Really? You know, I've only known him a couple of weeks. So that's, you'll be fine. Okay. He said, and then you need to work with the seventh and eighth grade boys Sunday school class and help them grasp who Jesus is. <sighs> okay. You need to get into a small group because there you'll learn more about Jesus and people will hold you accountable. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, okay. You need to go to seminary. Say, what? All I wanted was salvation. You know, how come I can't just have salvation and continue to live my life? Because that's not salvation. Salvation is that my sins have been paid for, your sins have been paid for. But the joy behind that is, and therefore... I'm going to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Wow. You mean I'm going to be like Jesus? Well, in many ways, yes. Because I will have the gifts that he gives to me. That's not what I signed up for. But I found myself in seminary with guys who had grown up in Christian homes, gone to Christian pre-preschool and preschool and school and college and you know, they didn't have to read the Bible. They memorized it 20 years ago. 
And here I am, brand new, just trying to figure this stuff out. What was I thinking? So I was really thinking that once I accepted Christ, that was it. And let me tell you, that is the message of a lot of churches today. And that's not the message of Scripture. It's not the message community church is giving you. What we're saying to you is you need to become a disciple. And as you are in process of becoming a disciple, you need to be discipling others. You need to be reading the fine print with everybody. That's the key word in our text today, the first of three key words. The first one is obligation. But it's a great obligation because it's headed in a direction that's going to positively benefit you and me. We're going to understand better who Christ is. My obligations are in order to help me live this life in the Holy Spirit and not in the flesh. But my mind and my heart had been trained for 27 years in the flesh. You don't overcome that quickly. You know that. Every one of us in here, me included, I still wrestle with that flesh, don't you? I still find myself saying, ah, I wish I hadn't thought that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. And then I fall back on to that Romans 8.1 verse, but there's no condemnation. Okay, thank you, Lord. But I want you to be more like my son. You're obligated to do that. Okay, thank you, Lord. How am I going to do that, Lord? Through the promise that Christ made us in John 14, verses 15 through 17. Listen to what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And that was the promise to the disciples before Christ sent the Holy Spirit upon them in the upper room Registered in the first couple of chapters of Acts, you see what happens there. But the Holy Spirit now lives in you and me. He is my way of transformation. He is the one who will help me fulfill my obligation. But you have to understand him. And I'd venture to say that many of you are right where I was when I was an early Christian. I knew there was a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That didn't bother me at all. I can't comprehend the, the concept of three in one, but over the years I've believed it and I have faith that it's true. Doesn't mean I have to fully understand it. Who can understand God? But I knew the father was a father of a son, and the son was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. I knew there was a Holy Spirit, but I had no idea what that meant. Matter of fact, a portion of my education told me it didn't mean a whole lot. I found that not to be true. They left out a whole bunch of fine print. One of the first times that I recognized that there was something I didn't know about the Spirit of God 
was early in my walk. I had been a Christian probably five years. And Linda was birthing our child, Katie Beth, 36 hours of labor. We prayed on every contraction. She wouldn't let go of my hand. So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And the doctor said, which one do you want me to save? Because he was concerned about losing both of them. And I looked at him with my flesh from the former life and said, you will save them both. And about that time, the doors broke open and this professor of mine by the name of Elmer Dortzbach, you never forget that name, do you? <laughs> he comes bounding through the door and they're saying, you can't be in here. Yes, I can. He comes over, he lays hands on Linda and he prays for her. She has a birth, we have a baby, I have a wife, they're still here, praise God. But I turned to him and I said, how did you know to come here? He said, well, I was praying in the Spirit, and the Spirit said to me, go to Women's Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, because there's a woman there you need to be praying for right now. So I got in my car and I drove over here. I said, you didn't know who it was? He said, no, I didn't need to know. And when I got here, he said, I looked at the register and I saw her name. And I found out where she was and I came bounding in. And I said, how can I get to know God like you know him? How can we get to know God that intimately that we can come to him in our day of trouble and he'll deliver us? How do we do that? And he said, it's all through the Holy Spirit. You live in the Spirit now. You don't live in the flesh. You don't live according to the desires of the flesh. But you have to live in this world, so you have to interact with people in the flesh. You have to pay the mortgage. You've got to put gas in the car. You know, all these things have to happen. You can't isolate yourself away. But if you want to do it the way God wants it done, you need to be open to understanding the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is God. Now just imagine that for a moment. God lives in you. And he is there to help. Now when you got saved, you received the Spirit of God, but did you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 19, he's in the city of Ephesus, and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. See, I don't know how many of you really understand that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. They are in that place of glory that someday you and I will go but the Holy Spirit is here now, and he was sent by the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of truth. He convicts us when we're wrong. He guides us. He's here for everything you need. You're going to go a little bit deeper here in just a minute because my prayer is that you will leave here with a hunger for the Spirit that you've not had before. I'm not talking about a hunger for the gifts of the Spirit or the expression of those gifts. I'm talking about a relationship with the Spirit of God 
who lives in us. It takes work. But if you listen to that still small voice, you're going to hear him say something that's very unique, and it is the theme of this message today. You are the child of God. You're a child of God. Therefore, your obligation is less stressful, less strenuous to fulfill. You're a child because you've been born again. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. You and I have been born of both. We were born to our mothers through the water, and we are born of the Spirit when Jesus Christ became our Lord and our Savior. A famous pastor by the name of G. Campbell Morgan said, The second birth is that by which a man enters into the meaning of his first birth. So a, a person who is born again, who comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now gives full meaning to the understanding of why they were born to begin with. We were born to glorify God. We fell away from that glory through our sin. He brought us back into that glory through the redeeming work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so now we have this relationship with him that he instituted. There are lots of beliefs and religions out there that will offer you interesting and strange ways to do life. But God's is pretty simple. It's, look, you're my child, and I love you, and I'm here for you. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you see the tie-in between the salvation you get through Christ, his lordship over you, the Spirit being gifted into you, and now as you're following that Spirit, you have that guarantee that you are a child of God. And the child in Jewish history called his father Abba. Abba, father. To the Jews, Abba is the most intimate way that you can address your father. It's a title of honor. It requires and implies a filial relationship. And it's that kind of relationship you can have with the father through the Holy Spirit. Don't you remember the first time your, your kid or your grandkid called you granddad or dad or daddy or mama or grandmother? You know, there's, there's something about that that happens and your face just lights up. I'll never erase from my memory the days I would come home, not every single day, but many of the days, come home in the late afternoon as soon as I opened the door, I'd hear those words. Daddy's home. And you don't know whether that's good or bad. But it was, it was something that really I waited for. I looked forward to it. I couldn't wait to open that door and hear those voices. Either one or more of my daughters saying, you know, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. And, and you know what? For all of these years, one daughter now in her 50s, two in their 40s, I'm still there for them. I am still their Abba. I'm still their father. And there's nothing they can do 
to take that away from me. There's nothing they can do to cause me to increase my love for them. I could never love them any more than I do now. And there's nothing they could do to erase that love. Nothing. I will love them forever. And mine is an earthly love. Can you imagine my Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, loves you more than you and I love our kids, more than we love our grandkids? Is that possible? Yes. And he proved it through the death of his son. I never knew what it was like to cry out, Abba, Father, because I didn't grow up with a dad in the home. But I tell you what, my Father in heaven knows my voice because I'm crying out to him all the time, all the time seeking him, looking for that. And he loves it when I call him Abba. Abba is the Hebrew word. Padre or patron or is the, the Greek word. And so God, Father, you know, Father God, Abba, Father, they're both very familiar to him. As a matter of fact, Greek was not the spoken language as much as Aramaic was in the days of Jesus. And it's believed that though we only have a few instances recorded of his conversations with his father, that he probably referred to him as Abba more than anything else. We do have two places in Scripture where he called him Abba, apart from the Scriptures I've read you so far. And one of those is when Jesus was in the garden before his arrest. You remember what happened if you studied that part of Scripture. That before he was arrested, he went in and he was praying and he was in great turmoil. And he cries out, Abba, Father, if it be your will, you know, Take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. That, that tender moment that he goes to his father. And then we're interrupted by that cry on the cross that eliminates the concept of Abba, and it's replaced with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there the God-man is in the throes of hell and understands the separation that's been made from him and his father. So he can no longer call him father. He has to call him God. But look what happens in the end. At the end, Jesus has a last cry in Luke 23. He says this. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus had the intimate relationship with his father. How often do you approach the father? How often do you go to him with the understanding that you have the right to sit and talk with him? He can talk with every one of us all at the same time. That's our God. But he already knows you. He knows what you need. He knows your wants, your desires. He knows your propensities to the flesh. He knows how to bring you back. So why don't you spend time with him? Why don't you recognize that this obligation we have as children of God is fulfilled through him so that he's the one who's going to conform me to the image of Christ? I simply follow his lead in that confirmation process. 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes the church and says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now I want you to catch something that's really significant here. The Holy Spirit, we are told, cries out, Abba, Father. Later in chapter 8, we read that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit prays on our behalf. So he takes our prayers into the presence of the Father in, in a groaning that we don't understand. But not only does he do that, but I believe this is what he's saying. This is what the apostle is telling us. is the Spirit who lives within you, he cries out, Abba, Father, which causes me to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, he's pushing me into that relationship. He's modeling it for me. He's showing me that as the third person of the Trinity, as God, he is willing to take me into the presence of God. Wow. How could it get any better than that? Nobody else promises that they're going to make me think and act like Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit in the presence of the Father. Nobody promises that. But the Bible does in all of its print. When he cries, Abba, Father, we cry. And you know what? I know I need that push. How often I go to sleep and I'm in the flesh. I wake up and I'm in the flesh. I'm driving and I find myself in the flesh. I need the push of the Holy Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. And I hear that and I go, oh, 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 oh. I better watch out here now. I better correct myself. Why? Because I want to be like Christ. Paul said it earlier in Romans chapter 7 near the end of it. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't do, I wish I would do. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So it's all starting to come together for me that, that I'm understanding that I'm saved, that I'm filled with the Spirit, that I'm a child of God, that I'm forgiven, that I'm not condemned, that the Spirit is in me pushing me forward into this relationship with the Father so he can conform me to the image of his Son. Does it get any better than that? Yeah, it does. Because our inheritance is God. You inherit God. The inheritance on this earth is usually, if at all, provided through the death of a loved one, a friend, some family member. I remember when my sweet mother went home to Jesus Five years suffering Alzheimer's, she finally woke up and knew where she was in the presence of God. When my brother and sister and I went to the home where we had lived and grown up, we recognized different things. There wasn't much there for us. We knew that going in, but I ended up with a dining room table and a sideboard, a bed and some dressers. And, you know, it's, it's lovely. I think of them quite often when we sit down to eat. I think, yeah, this was my mother's table. It's nice. But, you know, I know what's going to happen. 
Someday when I'm gone and my wife's gone, I can see it right now. The kids are on the pavement out there with a garage sale and they'll sell the whole thing for 25 bucks. <laughs> because that's, that's inheritance. It means nothing to them. It's just a place they sat as they were growing up. But the inheritance that we have is not things. The inheritance we have comes from one who did die and he left us something. What did he leave us? Everything that's his. He's the older son. He is the one who is to inherit everything. He's the only son of God. But you and I, as sons and daughters of God, are grafted into him. We have been adopted by him. And so we are in full relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are joint heirs with him. That means whatever belongs to Christ belongs to you. So not only do we gain this relationship with the Father, but we gain a new world, everything that he has. We have no concept of the eternal. I, I can't imagine eternal. I mean, I, I live by a clock, don't you? I was just walking this morning wondering, now when does daylight savings kick back again or are they going to let it alone this year? Why? Because I live by the clock. You know, I had things set up in my, my bank account to go on a certain day to a certain place. So when you talk about me, to me about eternity, I'm going, what? I'm already planning to leave this place, so my life is not eternal here. No, it's not. It's eternal, but not here. We're aliens here. Right, we live here, but for a time, a short time. And then he calls us home into an inheritance that's really unthinkable. We cannot imagine it. I has not seen. You know, I haven't held on to anything in eternity. I haven't seen it. I've heard of other people who've had experiences and stuff, but nobody has ever really gone there and spent time there and come back other than Jesus. But he's told us that we're going to live forever. And when that day comes, we're going to be on a new earth with a new heaven and new Jerusalem coming down because we're heirs of God, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You are an heir with Christ. You and I are going to be joint heirs with him. And what do we inherit? We inherit God. We inherit his presence forever. We inherit a sinless world with total happiness all the time. And it's because of God's love toward us. John 1, verses 12 and 13 but as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's us. Which were born, now follow this, not of blood. And so it's not because my mother was a believer that therefore I am a believer. 
nor of the will of the flesh. It's not because I wanted to be saved. It's because he saved me and let me know I needed it. Nor of the will of a man. It's not just because I want to see my children saved, my grandchildren saved. But of God. God did it. God saved you. And you're his child. You and I are born of God. We are born again. We are designed to live forever. We're no longer slaves. We're children of God. We're free. We inherit what Christ inherits. And God is our inheritance. We get all the blessings. We get all the promises. All of these things belong to the heirs of God. The Bible says, The Lord is my portion says my soul, all things are ours. Not at this present time can we grasp these things, but the day is coming when all privileges that belong to the children of God are going to be revealed. We don't know what that's going to look like, but it's coming. And until then, we pray, Abba, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hear this cry from us. Help us fulfill the obligation when we accepted Jesus. For we fulfilled his obligation to you as your spirit led us. But he fulfilled it perfectly. Jesus Christ made the perfect offer of salvation. He was perfect in every way he lived. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father, his Abba, our Abba. Lead us, Holy Spirit, to his throne so that we are never again alone. We are no longer slaves. Let me pray with us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have taken slavery away from us. We serve you, indentured to you because we love you. We serve you because you are an amazing God. You live inside of us. You are conforming us to your image. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you because of the holy way that you drive us in life. Fill us today afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us the freedom to understand that we are yours, that we are no longer slaves. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord.